0: Here we go. So Kevin Prowlis is preaching today and here's why. At the beginning of the year, we talked about the fact that we're going to do four sermons throughout the year. We're pushing a pause on our empowered series, and we wanted to do four sermons on worship because we really wanted to hear God's heart about worship at a new depth so that we could enter in to worship at a new depth. And Kara Iwasaki knocked it out of the park. The first one, Kevin has has preached here a few times and always knocks that out of the park. And I just want to say, the worship steering team, this is how we do our ministries, right? It's the people in the church that do the ministries. And that means that these people, Kevin and Kara and the other people on the worship steering team, I could name them, but, but the bottom line is they are giving enormous amounts of time, gifting, effort, politics, and all the things that it takes in order to actually do ministry in fullness so I just wanna say this is how we do ministry around here it is amazing how it's discipling people I wanted the worship steering team to be the people that spoke these sermons because I just think they're the ones that are pouring into us so much already and I wanted you to hear their hearts and hear the reasons why God motivates them to put so much effort and so much into worship it's not just singing songs in many ways, it's coming closer to God than a sermon can ever get us, right? So it's incredible what they do. I want you to welcome Kevin Peralis. <laughs> <Kevin? clears
1: throat> All right. So before I start, I do want to give a, a thing about that recorded audio thing. That's awesome. And if you hear yourself recorded, unless you like do a podcast or something, you will hate how you sound, and you will think that you sound dumb. Just ignore that because you don't sound dumb. It's just you don't like, you sound different in your head than you actually sound. So just get over that and record it, because that's awesome. So that's my plug for that. That's really cool. Um, So we're going to do a sermon about worship. And uh, so I, uh, in February 7th, 2001, is when I became a Christian. And so I thought that meant that Starting this last February that I have been a Christian for over half my life Turns out that's actually next year, so I can't do math. <laughs> that's okay um, But I think that's really cool that and it's for me That's a really important thing that like over half my life. I've been a Christian almost like I've known God almost as long as I didn't know God That's pretty cool uh, And the other part of that part two is I've been leading worship since I was 16 which means I've been leading worship for over a decade. That makes me feel kind of old. To do anything over a decade makes me feel old. Um, Even though I'm still in my 20s, and some of you are like, yeah, okay, talk to me in 50 years. (laughs) I I was like, I've been been around for a a decade doing worship, like from high school to college groups to Sunday morning services to women's ministry I've done. That is awkward, by the way. Uh, (laughs) Uh, men's ministry. I've led worship, which is equally as awkward for me as a sensitive musician. Uh, and in all of these contexts, I've, I've been leading worship, and so I feel like now, when we talk about worship, I, I've been doing it long enough that I have something to say that's worth sharing. That is uh, battle-tested, for lack of a better word. Um, and uh, it's, there's a certain moment that in worship that I've observed from here, and I've also observed from being out in the congregation. I think. Most of you are probably familiar with it. Uh, there's the song. I don't want to pick a song that we do here because I don't want you to feel self-conscious. But um, like, uh, do you remember the song "Here I Am to Worship"? That old, old standard. Uh, so it goes something like this: like we're we're doing the this song, this, the music's playing. Slide of the world, we stepped out into the darkness, and we're okay. I'm on board. And as soon as the chorus comes, "Here I am to worship," <laughs> and the whole congregation in both men's ministry, women's ministry, youth group adult service, no matter what, everyone kind of like snaps their hands up, like you can almost dislocate your shoulder doing worship uh, during that song, and it, it's every time during the chorus, and there's certain songs where we do that, right? Is this a familiar experience? Some of you might have experienced that this morning, and I, don't, I wasn't watching, so I can't confirm or deny that you were doing it, but you probably were, and if not, there are times when we, we just kind of do that, and for me, Sometimes I'm doing it just because it's the chorus, right? So you're like, oh, it's the emotional part of the song, this is the part where I put my hands up, and to the point where I don't even think about it. Um, And sometimes it's like the chorus is over, and you're like, well, crap, what do I do with my hands? Uh, I guess I'll just kind of slowly kind of, I I don't know what to do with my hands. Maybe I'll put them together like this. Uh, This seems spiritual. Let's do this. And it reminded me of this thing that's been on Facebook for a while, I, have you seen this? I love this. You may not be able to read it, but at the expert level, at the very bottom, it says, warning, Baptists, do not attempt. <laughs> oh, man, I love it. So if, now you'll feel self-conscious about doing all of these things from now on. But, the, like, carry the TV, go big screen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, so we do these, like, weird hand motions in worship, uh, and for me, I always ask myself, why? And for some of you, the answer of why is because it's biblical. Because God said to, dummy, just do it. And if that's enough for you, that's awesome. And I don't mean that in like a condescending way. Like, seriously, if you can just be told to do something, you do it. That is so cool. As my parents know, I never just do what I'm told without asking why. Why? As the worship steering team knows, I never just do what I'm told without asking why. I'm always like, well, why are we doing that? Well, why are we doing that? Well, that reason doesn't make sense. Well, why? So why are we doing this? Because it's in the Bible. Well, why is it in the Bible? Right? That's a fair question. So I started looking in the Bible for why do we do these like hand motion things or, or move with our body? Why do we even sing? Like that's a kind of a physical thing, Right? That's kind of a weird thing that only we do, is just, like, come together and just sing for a while. Why do we do that? And so uh, it's interesting because the Scripture isn't just concerned with why in the context of worship. It seems like when you go through Scripture, God cares a lot about the physical things we do. Like, he has a really strong opinion on, like, sex and, like, money and, like, singing and, like, being fit physically like he has really strong opinions about that and I just wondered why so I started looking through the Bible and we're going to kind of do this like overview of the entire Bible and it's not Going to take as long as that makes it sound just for the record um And it's interesting. Well, I think we're going to find not only does God give a reason as to why But we're going to see that from the beginning we were actually created to do this physical thing and it, our, our physicality and our spirituality are so connected in a really cool way. So that's where we're going and we're going to have Rich Bixby pray for us who is back there. And usually I take this opportunity and make fun of Kurt and be like, oh, this is so great. You, you don't know Rich, you should get to know him. He's awesome. I'm not going to do that.
2: <laughs> that's okay. I was timing Kurt, by the way. that's awesome which I generally don't do anyway Heavenly Father we just thank you that we're able to come into your presence today we appreciate that you've drawn us that you've called us by your name and we thank you for the Holy Spirit that you put inside us that guides us that leads us and actually puts words in our mouth at the appropriate times we thank you for bringing us into your presence with worship We just want to get lost in there on a daily basis. And we just ask that you would bless the words to our heart to help us bring us to that place and to help us locate that door so we can repeatedly use it. We just thank you for this in Jesus' name. And I ask also that you put this blessing upon the River of Life Fellowship in Kent. Bless their pastor, the people there, and uh, and just... Let them be fruitful and a vibrant church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
1: So if you have your Bible, we actually are going to go to like the very beginning. So you can turn to Genesis 1. If not, it is going to be up on the screen because we are all digital people now, right? So uh, Genesis 1, in my opinion, is one of the most important scriptures in the entire Bible, um, and which is why it's at the beginning. It's, it's our creation story, right? And the interesting thing about Genesis 1 is it begins with God, um, the Spirit of God, and it's this spiritual stuff happening. So you have God who's Spirit, and he's hovering over waters, and he's breathing and speaking life. And then meanwhile, so you have all this Spirit stuff happening. In the same story, you have all this physical stuff happening. So I have a slide to illustrate that. You have the earth is this physical thing, and plants and animals, and the sun, and the moon, and, and physical, right? So there's this divide almost, and it's subtle, but you have spirit hovering, breathing, speaking spirit, and you have physical earth, moon, sun, plants, animals. And then God does something that has never been done before, which it's the beginning of the world, so it's not that amazing, right? That was a joke. <laughs> it's amazing regardless. But uh, So then in Genesis 1 starting in 26 then god said let us make mankind in our image in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground so god created mankind in his own image in the image of god he created them male and female he created them so not entirely relevant to this but just note that it does say mankind not male so congratulations, everyone in the room is made in God's image. That's a good thing. Um, it goes on in chapter 2, and what I want to focus on is no shrub had yet appeared on the earth. This Essentially, the creation story, God gives us like, here's what happened. Oh, and let me get into a little more detail in chapter 2. I'm retelling the same story, but in a kind of a different way. So no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground other stuff happened. Then, Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So before, you have spirit, uh, breathing, speaking, hovering, and you have physical, earth, sun, plants, animals, and then God creates this thing that's both. For the first time in all creation, you have something that's physical. He took dirt and breathed spirit, life into it. So all of a sudden, we're now this weird thing that no longer fits in either category, or maybe more appropriately we fit in both. So the rules that apply to the spiritual stuff can sort of apply to us, but not fully. It doesn't fully fit because we're also physical. and We're the only thing in creation that has this problem, for lack of a better phrase. And so it's, it's, there's this interplay between, okay, I I am a soul, and I have a body. That's unique. And there, by the way, scholars kind of argue over this point. There's uh, there's two kind of perspectives. Some scholars call this a dichotomy, where I have a body and I have a soul slash spirit. And so soul and spirit are kind of put into one. Um, the other perspective is called a trichotomy, where I'm a body and a soul and a spirit. Um, I think Foursquare is a trichotomy. Um, that's just random fact. I'm going to talk in terms uh, I'm going to use the term spirit and the term soul kind of interchangeably. Uh, I'm not saying I believe dichotomy, it's just, it's easier and less confusing. We're cool with that? So if I say soul, I might also be meaning spirit. Uh, so here in, in Genesis, we are now a soul that has a body, and that is weird. So uh, for the first time it's connected. Now let's jump ahead a little bit. I said we're going through the whole Bible. So if you have your Bible and you want to try and follow along, you can turn to 1 Samuel 16. Some of you are going, 1 Samuel 16, that must be a David and Goliath story. Nope. Close though. So in 1 Samuel 16, uh, it's in between the kings, so to speak. King Saul was there. He was anointed king. He was doing some awesome things, and he disobeyed God. So God said, I'm going to Take my blessing away from you and give it to this shepherd named David. And he's anointed David as king, but David right now is not the king. So this is kind of in between. Saul's still king. David's anointed king. He's just kind of hanging out doing his David thing. So uh, in 1 Samuel 16, it says, Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And I just want to pause for a second and just say, if the, an evil spirit from the Lord kind of messes with you a little bit, That's okay. Um, I'm not going to get into it now But if you have questions about that You can talk to me afterwards Or talk to Kurt He'll uh, fix that for you it's, it's okay that it says that That's actually in the Bible But we're just going to move on um, Saul's attendant said to him <laughs> Is that okay? Can I do that? <laughs> okay So Saul's attendant said to him See an evil spirit from God is tormenting you Let our Lord command his servants here To search for someone who can play the liar He will play when this evil spirit from God comes on you And you will feel better then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David. So in between that, by the way, uh, a messenger said, Oh, I know this guy. Um, send me your son David, who is with the sheep. Other stuff happened, not important to the story. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. So here's the really important part. Is whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul... David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. So you have David coming into Saul's presence and playing the lyre, which the modern example would be he played the guitar. Uh, and so it doesn't say if he's doing, like, a worship song or, like, a One Direction song. I'm just going to assume for the sake of this that he's doing a worship song because it makes the most sense to me. Um, but so David would come and, and would play and sing probably to the Lord. And as a result of his physical thing, playing, singing, Saul's soul was affected. And this, this evil spirit left Saul as the result of this physical thing. So I've been developing this idea for uh, many years. And um, the idea that comes out here is that your soul or your spirit mirrors your body. In other words, uh, sometimes your soul is in need of something and it tells your body, hey body, you should lift your hands. I'm in need of you. I'm not in a place where I'm surrendering to the Lord, so I need you to, to lift your hands. And so you lift your hands and as a result your soul says, oh, I surrender to God, I get it. And so your soul and your body are connected and your soul mirrors your body. And so there's a really easy way to illustrate this, and I'm going to ask you to take a small risk. Later on, I'm going to ask you to take a bigger risk, so if this is too much for you, then I'm sorry because you're not going to like what comes next. Um, this is called smile therapy. You're, we're excited. So what I'm going to ask you to do is smile as big and real as you can. I'm going to put an animated gif for 10 seconds, and we're going to smile for 10 seconds. We can do that right? We're all ready? We're all excited? You can even feel free and smile and like look around at the ridiculousness of what's happening in the room. But we're also going to keep an eye on the, on the timer because it's going to tell us when 10 seconds is up. And I don't want to torture you here and have you smile for longer than 10 seconds. Ready? We're we excited to smile? Alright, I'm going to click it and here we go. Smile! Yeah, we're smiling. This feels good, doesn't it? Alright, almost done. It's okay. All right. So that was 10 seconds. And I actually clocked it. And that is actual 10 seconds. And because it's an animated GIF, it will continue. Um, so I just moved on to the next slide. So that's OK. So did you notice? It's 10 seconds, 10 measly seconds of smiling. Didn't something happen a little bit in your body? Like you're like, oh, I'm actually a little, little happier than I was before. The sermon isn't quite as boring as it was. It's weird what smiling can do. And it's funny because... The scientist would say, oh, well, that makes t- total sense because you smile, and then your body releases dopamine and kind of as a biochemical reaction, and you're happier. But imagine what would happen if you were to do smile therapy three times a day for a long time. Eventually, you would start feeling like, I'm a happier person than I was because all I did was just smile. And you, yeah, okay, I have more drugs in my body, more dopamine coming through. But at some point, your body affects your soul, and you actually become a different person, right? Does that make sense? We're following along. So I accidentally uh, put up the next verse I'm going to. This is kind of a dark twist. So what happens, uh, what it sounds like I'm saying is, oh, just fake it till you make it. No problem. If you're not feeling a heart towards God, just fake it, and eventually you will, right? That's kind of where where it, it sounds like there is a problem with that, And that's not exactly what I'm saying. And Isaiah would say, uh, the danger of this is, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. So the problem, of course, is if you fake it, that God would say, yeah, that's not actually okay. Yeah, actually, if you are saying something with your mouth, this physical expression of worship, and your heart is far from God, that's not really good. That's what we would call a bad thing. And so it's not simply enough just to say your soul mirrors your body because it's not 100% true all the time. And so there's a piece missing from this. There's actually kind of a couple pieces missing, but we'll get into that. So to illustrate this, I'd like to... um, call up two people and I don't really need to know who they are or care who they are. How about you? And how about you? Is that okay? Can I call you up? Yeah. One of you gets to be the soul and one of you gets to be the body. Who wants to be the body? You're the body. You're the soul. So the soul mirrors the body. So whatever the body does, the soul follows. So go ahead and do something with your body. Yeah, see? I don't know why your body would be doing that. I don't know what your soul is thinking, <laughs> but it should stop. <laughs> so while the soul is paying attention to the body, it is mirroring it. If the soul is not paying attention to the body, go ahead and now do some stuff. Your soul is not mirroring your body anymore. Did you? Did you? <laughs> really? You called me up here. I d- why did I? This was a mistake. Next time I'll be the body. <laughs> Rated G, man. Okay, so <laughs> so <laughs> when the soul and the body are disconnected from one another, when the soul's not paying attention to the body, you you might say the people come near to me with their mouth, but their hearts are far from me. Thank you, guys. You guys can give them a hand, despite <laughs> what just happened. Okay, well, that's obvi- clearly the most. Awkward thing that's happened during one of my sermons. And that's saying a lot. Um, so there, the problem with this whole soul mirroring your body is you can actually fight that a little bit. And if your soul is in a place where you're saying, I want to be more like God. I want to worship God. I'm just kind of not feeling it. Then your bo- you can do something with your body and your soul will follow along. If your soul is saying, eh, not really interested in that. Then it doesn't really matter what you do with your body. Your soul and your body are being disconnected. And when they are disconnected, eventually that leads to something called apathy. And you stop caring about things. And then it doesn't matter what you do. Well, it still matters. But it, from in this context of your soul and your body, it doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want. It's interesting. Um, as I was, I've been planning this sermon. I've had it kind of in my heart for a, a lot of months. And uh, one time on a Sunday morning, and I don't remember which leader did this or who, if it was even a leader. Someone said this into, the, into a microphone here at Lake Sam. And even if I did remember who it was, I would lie to you and say I didn't because I don't want to embarrass that person. Um, but it, it was this contemplative, like, spiritual moment. And we are like, yes, we're, like, soaking in God's presence. And they said, ah, we cry out to you, Lord. We cry out to you. And the only reason it caught my attention was because I'm thinking in terms of, like, soul, body, and how they're interconnected. And I just thought, think about what we're just saying just now. I'm crying out to you in a contemplative, like, solitude, like, quiet moment. There's, like, this weird disconnect, right? And so if I were to kind of, like, go back in time and redo that moment, it'd be, like, contemplative moment, and we cry out to you, Lord! Or, like, something like, like, physically matching what I'm doing, what I'm saying, right? Does that make sense? Because I don't know that my soul can follow along when my body is doing two things at the same time. But it's going like, I'm um, in this quiet moment, I'm being solemn before the Lord, so my soul is being solemn right now and, be, and being open to God. And then saying, I cry out to you, ah, my soul really isn't doing that right now. You're giving me two different directions here, and I can't do both. Man, there's a one direction joke that I'm not going to take there. <laughs> You're welcome, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, my mind is just constantly riffing on things, so sometimes that spills out, and you're welcome that it's not doing it right now. So let's fast forward to the New Testament, because as I said, this, this idea is still a little bit incomplete. So in Luke 19, we're skipping ahead in Luke. That's okay. Um, so in Luke 19, Jesus is entering Jerusalem... He's riding on a donkey, and it says, As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near to the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. They said, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So I tried to read that appropriately, because I typically when I'm doing my devotions, I'd read that Uh, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, okay, and peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And my theological brain kicks in like, okay, peace in heaven. And it's like kingdom of God, so heaven and earth. But that's actually what was going on was they're going, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Right? It's this like physical response. So some of the Pharisees, of course, don't like that they're giving praise to Jesus that is only to be given to God. And so the Pharisees say, and since they don't believe Jesus is God, that's a problem. So he says, teacher, rebuke your disciples. This is bad that they're doing this. This is worship for God. And Jesus' response is, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And that's an interesting um, imagery. Because it suggests that it's not simply that your soul is mirroring your body. It's that there are moments in life when there's something happening in you that you just have this visceral response where are like, I must respond to this, right? Like sometimes you can be so angry that you just must punch something or throw something or yell or curse or whatever you do in a godly way, <laughs> right? I'm not talking about anyone here about cursing because I know, you know, that was a joke. Um, so there's something in you that, like, or there's something in you that is moved to compassion. Your soul is like, I must help. I must record audio for these children. Woo. Right? Tell me that you weren't, you weren't, something in you was moved when that happened. And so your soul said, this is going to happen. Body, do it. And your body then followed what your soul was doing, was feeling. And it's almost like, in this moment, the disciples are saying, there's something in my soul that I can't contain, I have to yell out, and if I don't, it's like the rocks themselves will cry out. It's like the earth itself is demanding that I give praise. There's something happening in me that my body simply must respond to. And so, It's interesting because it means that it's not simply that your your soul mirrors your body, but that your soul and your body demand to reconcile with one another. Your body and your soul cannot do separate things for too long, or else it leads to apathy. So I wanted to illustrate this, and this is where I'm going to ask you to to take a risk. And this is going to be an ever-increasing amounts of risk. We're going to try this. If it fails, it's not on you, it's on me. I'll take that. So I want to pop a phrase up on the screen and I want you to simply read it. And if you're the kind of person who reads and you move your mouth, try and avoid doing that. And if you like move your hands, try and like—this <laughs> is hard even for me— try and just sit still and just read. Just use your eyes and, and, and your brain. So just think about this phrase that comes up. And it's a five-syllable phrase. It's really—it's not going to be complicated for anyone in, the, in this room. Uh, And just kind of pay attention to when I read this, what happens in my soul. So ready? Here we go. Really not complicated. No one's one's speaking it out loud. No one's making anything like that. We're just reading it. You got it? Did anything really happen in your soul when you read that? Maybe. Maybe something. Now, I'm going to leave it up there, and I'm going to say it, but again, try to do nothing with your body. Just listen. Now we're engaging your eyes and your ears. So I adore you, Lord. And actually, I moved my body, sorry. Um, can't help it. Um, so when I say, I adore you, Lord, does it, when you hear it, does it do something a little bit, maybe more, a little bit different than when you just see it? Hopefully, anyone? Yeah, no? OK, that's OK, because we're still going forward with this exercise. Um, so now I want you to say it, but not like, don't say it like I just said it. Kind of say it as if it's like a secret, and you don't want the person next to you to hear. So just really quietly, right? So everyone go ahead and, and just whisper this phrase. Go ahead and say it. I adore you. Lord. Shh, not too loud. <laughs> and so, okay, now we've kind of engaged our more parts of our body. So now this is when I'm going to ask you to take a risk. And I'm not even at the highest risk yet, so... Uh, I'm pushing here. So now I, I want you to say this again, but do something with your body and say it, like declare it. Like say it as if you believe it. Even if your soul isn't quite there yet, that's okay. Um, and maybe you stand, maybe you like lift your hands, maybe you do like a, what I've been doing, like a, yeah. Um, what Like, but I'm not going to tell you what to do with your body, but do what you feel is appropriate with your body and declare this as if it's true. And and as you do it kind of think like, okay, how is my soul responding to this? Ready? And let's do it. I adore you, Lord. Say it again. I adore you, Lord. How does that feel? How do, what does that do in your soul? That feels good, right? Compare that to when you were just passively taking it in by looking at it and not moving. Didn't it do something different in you? Now here's where we're going to take a risk. This is going to be fun. I say risk. It's really not that bad. Um, So I, because I am now a barbershop singer, I carry around a pitch pipe. Yeah. You guys see where I'm going with this, right? So I'm going to pick a note. It's a B-flat. It's an easy note that everyone should be able to sing. And I want us to try and sing this phrase. That's why I made it really short, so we can all sing it. Because I want you to see what happens when you engage not just your, your mouth and not just your ears and not just your, your eyes, but when you sing, it, you have to engage, like, more of your body. And again, this is a pretty easy tone. So I'm, not, I'm hopefully not pushing anyone, like, to the edge. But would you risk with me? Would you try it? The melody I'm going to sing is, I adore you, Lord. Really easy, right? Two notes. We got it. Can we try it? And I'm going to move my hands to help direct us. Are we good? Are we going to try this? Okay. Here's the pitch one more time. I Ready? I adore you, Lord. And so hopefully you felt something a little bit different than when you were just declaring it right? Because this is ultimately when we like play instruments and sing and that time before the sermon we call worship. That's what we're engaging. Now I want to really challenge you because I sing barbershop now. I want to try and teach you a four-part harmony. Can we do that? Yes. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to, I'm going to have you self-select so you can choose the part you want to sing. I'm going to introduce the parts to you and then we're all going to try and put it together. And again, if this fails, it's not on you. It's on me. I will take this and go. Well, that was an interesting sound, and that's okay. So there's four parts. In I'm going to use the barbershop terms, even though we're we're not seeing barbershop. That's okay. Um, the the first part is the lead, and the lead part we just sang. That's I adore you, Lord. Some of you are saying that's easy. I can sing higher. That's called the tenor part. Can we just maybe, I don't know if you're willing to risk raising your hand, but who here would say maybe I can sing a little higher than that, sing tenor? Okay, cool. So if the lead part is I adore you, Lord, the tenor is I adore you, Lord. Pretty easy, right? So um, can everyone just try and sing that? It's okay if you can't sing that high. It's I, ready? I adore you, Lord. That was good. I, this is going better than I thought already. Um, okay, so the lead part is ah, uh, we already did the lead. I adore you, Lord. If you can sing low bass, and this really isn't that low again, it's ah, um, ah is a lower note and it goes, this one's the, probably the hardest part, it goes, I adore you, Lord. Okay? A- anyone think maybe bass is for me? Okay, got a couple. Okay, let's try that. Let's try it all together. It's, again, it's the hardest part, but it's really it's four notes. We got this. Ready? So it's I, I adore you, Lord. You guys are good. This is good. This is going to be good. And so the last part is the baritone, and the baritone's in between the bass and the lead. And the people who are good at singing baritone tend to be the, like, intellectuals like the people who are like the engineers and the doctors, because the parts are usually, at least in barbershop music, are really weird. (laughs) (laughs) Not that intellectuals are weird, (laughs) but because they're so weird, you kind of have to have that intellectual brain that says like, I enjoy singing this like clever part that is sung by itself is just weird. So this is the hardest part to find. So it's I, I, Uh, here's the, the baritone. I adore you, Lord. Good luck. <laughs> Let's try it. Let's try it all together. I I adore you, Lord. So here are things like baritone. That's a cool part. I'm clever, and I'm going to sing that. I'm trying to make it sound like you're smarter if you sing that part. So, Because <laughs> it's the part that most people don't want to sing. All right, so that's all four parts. Could, has everyone kind of self-selected and kind of said, I think I'm going to sing, the, I think I like the tenor, or I think I like the bass or the lead or the baritone. So let's put them all together. This is where it's going to be interesting. So it's, oh, pitch pilot. Lead, bass. Go ahead and hum your, the first note you're going to sing. So uh, lead, if you're going to sing, just go mm to that note. Very few people. Okay, if you're going to sing bass, go mm, and then uh, uh, baritone, baritone. Barit, uh, baritone. If you're gonna sing baritone, on that note. Mm, and, uh, for lead and tenors up here, this is gonna be cool, guys. I'm excited. Ready? So let's sing. Let's sing this and, uh, like, don't like right now. you I know it's like, oh, this is terrifying. <laughs> Pretend like this is not terrifying. This is the most natural thing you've ever done, and sing it like we declared, "I adore you, Lord." Okay? Let's try it. Ready? I adore you, Lord. Oh, okay. That was good. That was good. That was good. <laughs> I'm not saying that to convince myself that it's good. That was good. But I think we can do better. Because that one was kind of like, oh, yeah, this is the first time i have singing a harmony. So I want to try it one more time. Can we do that? Here's the pitch pipe again. Find your note. I will sing the lead so everyone else can have the lead. I adore you, Lord. Ready? I adore you, Lord. Yeah, give yourself a hand. That was awesome. Did you hear some of those chunky chords? That's barbershop. That's awesome. So, did that feel different than just like looking at this text, I adore you, Lord? Here's the thing about singing, and specifically about singing harmony, and this is why I'm addicted to singing harmony, is when you sing, it's possible to just go, I adore you, Lord. Yeah, whatever, I'm here. There's words on the screen, I guess I'll sing them. When you sing harmony, you can't really do that. Like, I made you, I gave you like, you sing this note and no other note, or, or the other parts. But, once you pick a part, you are locked in. You have to sing that part. So you have to focus. And you have to concentrate. It's using brain power, and which for some of us have never done before while singing. <laughs> and I, that's not intended as an insult. That's like higher level of singing than just kind of mindlessly doing it, right? So something happens in your soul when you sing harmony and when you're singing in a group with other people because it requires you to think and engage your brain. So the more you engage your body, your diaphragm and your throat and your head and your, your arms, and, and when you engage your body, your soul follows along. And so for some of us, when we come to a, a worship time, it's light of the world, you step out into darkness. I'm singing, right? Uh, sort of, you could call that singing. But my soul isn't engaged, and I'm going, I wonder what's for lunch. And when Kevin's sermon is over, like, like you're not there. And so your soul doesn't really join in the process. And eventually that leads to apathy. That's bad. So eventually your soul and your body align. And the interesting thing is your soul and your body, because they're drawing each other forward, like your soul, it has this like visceral response and your body responds. So then your body responds and your soul mirrors your body. And so they're propelling each other forward. But there's one piece still missing from this puzzle. And that is, it, you can kind of, that kind of applies to everything. Like you can have a really strong feel. Like I could say, for example, uh, this uh, is reflected in the words that we say in, in the English language. Like I could say, I love you, Johanna thanks for marrying me and putting up with me. I love you so much. And that, I honestly mean that, and that means something different than someone else who says, I love mom and dad. Like, it, it's still heartfelt. It's still true. It's just a different use of the word. And then it's different from another person who'd say, man, I love you, pizza. <laughs> oh, pizza. You were so good to me. Until you're not. So there's a difference between when I say I love Johanna, my wife, versus when I say I love my parents, still love, versus when I say I love pizza, which, you know, it's question of a love. Um, and so the object of what you are putting your soul and your body into matters, right? So there's this quote, there's a theologian called N.T. Wright, um, and Foursquare uses NT right theology all the time. Obviously not everything he says is golden, but this is, this is one of those things that I think is awesome. He says, You become like what you worship. You become like what you worship. When you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. So, have you ever like... Uh, I, I don't know if this is gonna be a universal uh, illustration, but for me, I, I sometimes will watch Netflix shows and like I'll binge watch one show when it comes out on Netflix. Is that a common enough thing that we all get that? Awesome. Um, so did you ever binge watch a show and you start taking on, like one of the characters, you go like, I really like that character, and you start taking on kind of the personality and mannerisms of that character, there are some really bad characters for you to do that too. If any of you watch like Dexter or something and you start becoming a serial killer, that's bad. But isn't that true that you start to, when you like admire something or someone, you kind of start to become like that thing that you admire and worship? So if I continually say like, I love pizza, I become like fat and doughy, right?
0: <laughs> no?
1: Okay. <laughs> But, so there's, whatever we, the thing that we worship um, transforms us into something more like what we worship. So, you can worship sex, and you'll find yourself ultimately becoming self-indulgent, completely focused on the physical, and really kind of self-absorbed. You can worship money. And if you do, you'll find yourself constantly uh, wanting more desire, desire, desire of these external things. You start becoming like that thing that you worship. You can worship entertainment. Video games. Okay, I guess I do have a video game thing in my sermon. Video games, movies, books, all those things that are okay. But when you begin to worship them, you start becoming less authentic. So when God says something like, you will have no other gods but me. It's not because he's, like, jealous and, like, doesn't want you to uh, give praise to something else. Although that's true. It's not just that. It's that you, the thing that you worship, you become the most like. And so remember in the beginning in Genesis 1 where he said, uh, in the image of God, in my image, I create mankind. So when we worship God, when our soul is focused towards God and our body is focused towards God, and they propel each other towards God, you become more like God. And so as a result, your soul becomes more like God, so it gives this visceral response for your body, and your body becomes more like God. And because your, your soul mirrors your body, your, your body does things that are more like what God would do, and your soul follows along. So they propel each other forward, and it turns out that when we worship God, the more and the more and more we become like God, the more in his image we find ourselves. And the more in his image we find ourselves, the more you, you become. So if the, the most you you become is when you're full on for God. Your soul, your body, everything. So as the worship team comes back up, there was a moment for me in when I was in high school, I don't think I've shared this story with Johanna, so I hope this goes okay. Um, there was a moment in high school where, uh, I, when I was a freshman in high school, the uh, uh, I, I felt like I was called to go to Life Pacific Bible College, Great uh, College, and then as the years the high, my high school years continued, I kind of went, yeah, but Colorado Springs is kind of nice. I kind of like it. Um, I think I'll stay. I don't think I'll go to Life. And um, when I was a senior in high school, that, that, of course, is when you have to make the decision about where am I going to go, what am I going to do with my life. And so uh, I wasn't thinking about life. I wasn't thinking about Bible college. I was thinking maybe I'll be a music major at a local college, and maybe I'll be a choir teacher because I enjoy that. and That's a great thing. And so uh, I was in this moment of worship, and I felt like, uh, unrelated to that, not thinking about career goals thing, I was just in this moment of worship, and I... I Uh, felt like God said, I want you to bow down on your knees before me and surrender. I was like, all right, that's weird, but I guess I'll do it. Um, Because that's kind of how my relationship with God goes, I guess I'll do it. Um, But why? Um, And so, uh, I obeyed, I listened to God with my body, postured myself in an act of surrender, and I felt like God spoke to me in that moment and said, I want you to go to life. I was like, I don't really want to go to life. Don't remember <laughs> how I called you. And I, because I was in this physical act of surrender, this physical act of vulnerability, is there a more vulnerable place physically than when you're on your knees bowed down? My soul started going, oh yeah, surrender. Oh yeah, being obedient. Oh yeah. And because of that, I obeyed the Lord and went to life. So that's what we're going to do now, is we're going to worship God and posture your body in a way that your soul follows. And vice versa.